Coming tonight, the Shia was sponsored by Ariel and Aliza Haratz. And this is an honor of um, Aliza's father's yurtzeit. It's going to be on Monday, Chafei Tevis. His name is Mordechai ben Yaakov. May his neshama have the greatest, 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 greatest elevation to the greatest of heights. And much, much, much blessings channel down through him to you. Uh, Eliza to the to Ariel to your whole family uh, with much mazel brach and all that you need and all that you want. Thank you so much for this uh, special dedication. All right, um, short dedication this week, and we have more time for the class. That's good. Um, I like it better when we have more dedications. But in any case, um, the this week is Parshas Shemos. And it's exciting, it's very exciting, because we just enter into Sefer Shemos, is called the Book of Giula, the Book of Redemption. And as I've been uh, really, really, really hammering the last couple of months, is that we are right now, not only at the threshold of Mashiach, but we're actually, um, the process of redemption is is, is happening. We're, we're in the midst of, 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 and I think, Many, many, many Jews are waking up to this, to this that uh, what's going on in the world today is not usual. It's not usual. I mean, it's been dramatic for, for the last couple of years, uh, but things are stepping up, and we can really feel the tension. Um, I, I wanted to read something, which um, I'd like to repeat for maybe, maybe some of you have seen. It's been, out, it's been going around on the WhatsApps and on the things. Um, hold on, just give me one second so I can pull this up. Forgot to, I forgot to prepare this before the shear. It's worth seeing. Hold on. Um, here we go. So um, what do I mean when we're saying 
that it looks like um, where where we are right 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 at dramatic world transformation. So Ramosha Kardova, the Ramak, uh, was the chief Kabbalist before the Arizal. And at his passing, when he passed away in the city of Tzfas, the Holy Ari took over. So we're talking about in the, 50, the 1560s, way back then. So we're talking about, about 450 to 500 years ago. He writes in his Pirish of Zohar, in his explanation of the Zohar. I'm quoting. I'm quoting from Hebrew. Now, I have to say that I'm not quoting from the Hispirish on the Zohar itself because I don't have his commentary in the physical book. Um, I picked this up, and I picked this up online. So I, I, I'm, I'm only as responsible as hoping that this quote that is being quoted in Hebrew is verbatim what he says. Okay, so that's, I can't vouch for that. I usually like to look things up. I actually was Googling it to try to find maybe a copy of the original page, but I didn't. But in any case, um, here, here's the words that he says. He says, And it will happen that all the nations, they're going to make a conference for peace, amongst them. But their intentions are going to be the Yishapchuli Yisrael Lahashmid Osam. Its intentions will be to wipe out Israel. Mipnei, the reason why, remember this is written 500 years ago. Mipnei Shehakimu Lahem Malchus, because they have established for themselves a kingdom. That they don't like. It's going to be a time of trouble for Israel, for the Jewish people, for Yaakov. They will not come to be broken. We will not be broken as a result of this, but from this situation itself will come the salvation. In the history of the Jewish people, as I know it, I don't know ever in the history that all the 70 wolves have joined together for one attack. We've been through all the wolves. The sages refer to the Jewish people as one sheep amongst the wolves. But it was, we were attacked by different wolf packs at a time, a few together, never by all of the 70. Yesterday, we've seen all of the 70 gathered together and whatever it means down here in this world, in the physical sense, it means tremendously, exponentially more in the spiritual realms above where the 70 ministering angels of the nations are gathering together to stop without any doubt. This is the last and final assault of the forces of unholiness to stop the coming of Mashiach because they sense it in every fiber of their being that momentarily the third temple is going to be built. Yerushalayim is going to be unified. The entire land of Israel is going to be to the Jewish people. If they would only listen to the classes at Mayan Yisrael, they would realize they have nothing to worry. Because Mashiach is here for the entire world to live in true peace and in true harmony. But it requires a submission and a humility to serving God. Um, which is not a bad thing, which is actually a very 
blissful and, and joyful thing. But if uh, you're not programmed that way, uh, then, then it worries and it concerns you. So, and it terrifies you. There is no other explanation. My dear friends, there's no other explanation of why out of nowhere, with the, the world having such big problems, with Europe being attacked, with attack after attack. So it just happened in Germany just a little, just two weeks ago, and before last year in France, attack after attack. And there is absolutely no reason why it will get better. It can only get worse because they're just flooded with immigrants. There is no reason. So when there's nothing else to worry about besides for the most peaceful place in the Middle East, and the only reason that's causing problems is exactly these talks is what's firing up and causing uh, the, the problems like we saw just last week, the truck attack and all that. It's the, so to make a problem when there is no problem. For no, and why now? Why now? And why is a president, right before he's leaving office, and Lowe's kind of like it's over for him, his last piece of work to do, almost like he has to get business done right before he leaves, is, is to make sure that Israel is, in a, is jeopardized. This is so godly. I also have to say that, which we have discussed in earlier classes. This coupled with a very, very, very wild election in the United States that has never gotten so much meteor coverage and that has turned out totally, as we say in Yiddish, Moshe Kapoyer, totally opposite of what everybody thought, every prediction is. Which is stunning. Now why, what, where, and when? And an unpredictable future like we've never had. Because we're dealing with a new administration that no one really knows what to make out of it. I think the administration himself doesn't know what to make out of what, where it's going. Right? That, that's what it looks like. And you can see clearly that the hand of God is over here operating in a very strong way. And um, Moshiach is coming. That's the bottom line. The other day I got terrified. Literally I got terrified. Because I'm speaking about this for so many times and it literally hit me that this might be really, really real. This is real. And, and that requires not just to talk and talk and talk and be excited about world events that are happening. That requires that we have to be ready. This is like, this is big, big stuff. This is the biggest event ever in history. This is the greatest time. We're entering into a time of ultimate union with God. And we have to ask ourselves, am I ready for this? And if there's anything that we need to do to, 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 to clean ourselves up and prepare ourselves and wash ourselves a little bit and be ready for this great, for this great moment, now is the time. It's not, it does not make any sense to wait. Because once it happens, right, it's better to be prepared. And it, and it can happen. It can happen in an instant. Things, in terms of world events, things can spiral out of control so quickly. So quickly. But it doesn't have to be drama and world events. The actual coming of Mashiach and the full completion of the coming of Mashiach can happen instantly. It can happen so quickly. It can happen so strongly. And um, as it says, Pisom Yavoy El Hachaloy. With all, the, with all the drama and all the occurrences that happens before Mashiach comes, which we're seeing now, and with all the signs, it does say that Mashiach will catch us in total surprise. We will really be shocked when he comes. So therefore, 
we really, really, meaning even if you come over here every week and you hear all of this, it will still shock you. Because we're still not believing it. Because if we would really believe it, then we would really, really transform in our lives. So, but that doesn't excuse us not to make a transformation. So I'm thinking like, what am I supposed to do if we're preparing for Mashiach? What am I supposed to do? So obviously, I should daven a little more. And I should daven a little deeper. And I should spend more time studying. And I should maybe be a little less obsessed with my physical comforts and be more concerned with my soul and my service of God. And we should all be doing that, right? And there's all kinds of things. And we should sin less and do more mitzvahs. I mean, it's obviously simple. But these are all, these are all actions that you can improve before Rosh Hashanah and before Yom Kippur as well. This is not necessarily a preparation for Mashiach. Preparation for Mashiach means that we have to experience a complete, a complete shift in our reality. Mashiach's coming is going to bring about such a paradigm shift, a fundamental change in the way we experience ourselves and we experience the world around us. That we have to start getting into right now. We have to begin to start reshaping our mind and our outlook on ourselves, at the world, and how we operate. Our very existence needs, needs, needs some rethinking. And we have to enter into the Moshiach manner of thinking. And when we start getting acclimated to that, it will be the transition is going to be the talking about the whole time about a smooth transition. We need when we want a smooth transition. So the smooth transition will help if we can kind of know what will be different fundamentally in our lives when Mashiach comes. And at least we can start with something. So that's what I want to focus our class today on. What is that something that we can focus on now to be able to get a to prepare ourselves on what's coming? So Shemos is exciting. Because Shemos is the parsha of Mashiach. It is the parsha of the redemption. Now the first, it's the, it's the safer. Now the first parsha of Shemos is painful. It deals with exile. It deals with the darkness, the persecution, the horrific abuse of the Jewish people. And, but I don't want to focus on that in parsha Shemos. Because we are done with the darkness. We are done with the darkness. The darkness is over. One thing is for sure, that's what we do have to, have to keep on saying again and again and again, because I know there are rabbis who threaten the Jewish people. My daughter comes home from school and she says the girls are terrified from the coming of Mashiach because it's going to bring an Armageddon and who knows what. And that is absolutely Meshagas. It's not true. We the Jewish people have been gone through what we've gone through. There is nothing to worry about in that end. It's going to be good. Hashem tells... It, it, it happens to be about this last and final dramatic change where Hashem tells the Jewish people, look it up in Yalkut Shemoni, don't worry, it's the, all this trauma and all this, 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 this shaking and quaking, it's not going to harm you whatsoever. You I am taking care of. It's quite on the contrary, it's all about you because I'm coming over here to take you out of darkness and forever and ever um, show the world that you are my people. So, we don't have to be worried about any kind, of, any kind of problems. What we do have to positively, joyfully, and excitingly prepare ourselves for the coming of Mashiach. And I'd like to find 
uh, in this week's parsha. But I want to zoom in right to the birth of Mashiach Tzedkenu this week in the parsha. The first Mashiach, Moshe Rabbeinu was born. And we know that Moshe Rabbeinu, he is the soul of Mashiach Tzedkenu. The sages tell us Moshe was the first redeemer and Moshe is going to be the last redeemer. Not in the physical sense, because Moshe Rabbeinu is from Shevet Levi and Mashiach is from the tribe of Yehuda. So he can't even be, he's in the wrong tribe. It means that the Mashiach's neshama is composed of, Moshe, of Moshe's neshama. His energy is in the Mashiach, and that's how the redemption comes. So let's take a look at the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. And from that birth, we will discover what does it take to make that paradigm shift for each and every one of us to start living to the best that we can in a Mashiach consciousness, in a, in, a, in a... Because we have to realize that the gullus and the exile is a crippling disease on our soul. It literally, literally, literally cripples us spiritually. And when you're living in this state of exile for thousands of years, it's very hard to make that transformation because we're living in this, in this, in this, in this, it's a, it's a mental illness, exile. As much as the exile influences us physically of all the abuse and all the suffering and the persecution and all that, that's secondary to the havoc it wreaks on our soul, on our, on our ability to perceive truth and, and live life the way we ought to be living as Jews. So let's try to see what exactly is that, that um, change and what is the Geula state and what is the exile state so that we can help at least, at least aspire. If we can't live in it, at least let's aspire to live in that, in that truth. So let's take a look at the birth of Moshe. So in the beginning of Perek Beis, I think it is, in this parasha, yeah, the Pasek begins, Vayelech Ishmi Beis Levi, and a, a man went from the house of Levi, Vayikach, and he married, he took as Bas Levi, the daughter of Levi. First of all, it's amazing. The Torah is describing over here the greatest birth. Moshe Rabbeinu was born, the greatest human being so far until Mashiach ever to live. It's interesting that the Torah dismisses who their parent, the parents were, not that they were small people. Uh, Amram was the head of the generation. He was the, you see from Rashi, he was the leader of the generation. Moshe Rabbeinu's mother, incredible tzaddikis. You see, because of her, you have all the, 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 the uh, because of his mother, she saved all the, the she, she had Mesir Nefesh and total self-sacrifice. She didn't listen to Paro's order. She was the midwife. She was ordered by Paro explicitly to strangle all the Jewish babies, all the Jewish boys. She disobeyed him. She defied his orders. Unbelievable. But Moshe Rabbeinu, see, his greatness is not that he's the son of this one or the daughter, or, or the, the son of this one, this is his father and this is his mother. Moshe Rabbeinu is Moshe Rabbeinu because God wants to redeem the Jewish people. And for that reason, he's giving us a super neshama. So therefore, I saw this in the Maral, who his parents are irrelevant. The main thing is, he's Moshe Rabbeinu, a neshama that God is sending into the world. Meaning he's not a continuation of the past. He's something totally new. So the Torah doesn't even tell us who they were. But it does say, a man of Levi marries a daughter of Levi. Okay? So it's from the family of the Levites that we do know. And we're going to see in the end of the class why, why that was pivotal. That was very, very important. Okay, now... The Torah says that he took the daughter of Levi. So Rashi makes an interesting comment that he took the daughter of Levi. Rashi says, It's the middle of the Rashi, not the beginning. She too was transformed 
to becoming young. She went back to her youth. How do you know she went back to her youth? Because the Torah says she was a bas lady, the daughter. So we're calling her a daughter. Now the truth is, even if you're 98 years old, you're still a daughter of someone. But that's the term you would not refer to as bas. You're referring, you can say Leia bas, so and so. Even say that for a person who departed already. But when you're calling her, not by her name, just Bas Levi, the girl of Levi, it's in place to be saying, it's speaking a girl of Levi. So a girl of Levi, a daughter of Levi, seems to be a younger girl. So Rashi says, but she's not so young. Ubas Kuflamet Shana she's 130 years old. She's a real babushka, right? She's a real grandmother, a great great She's 130 years old. And you're calling her a Bas Levi. So Rashi says, because a miracle happened, she became young again. And the Gemara discusses this in Masech the Sota, Masech the Baba Basra. The Gemara says the miracle that happened, the Gemara, the, Rashi doesn't describe all the, all the elements of the miracle, but in the words of the Gemara, it's very beautiful. I didn't take a Gemara here. Um, the Gemara says that um, her skin um, went back to her youth, her wrinkles disappeared, and she returned to her beauty. She turned to being a young girl again. Okay? Now, how do you know, Rashi says, that she was 130 years old? Because she Because she was born, this girl, Yocheved, she was born when the Jewish people came to Egypt, when the family came to Mitzrayim. She was born as they were walking into the Mitzrayim, as they were coming through the borders of Egypt to come into Mitzrayim, Mazel Tov, Levi had a, had, had a girl. It was exciting. The whole family, the caravans, were, and in a sense, they must have had butterflies in their stomach. They knew they're going into exile. It was a dark moment. They weren't happy. They had mixed feelings. God gave them promises. Yaakov was coming. Yosef was the ruler. They promised them a nice, beautiful land. As, you know, the Beverly Hills of Mitzrayim was prepared for them. All wonderful and all very good. But they're going away from the land of Israel and they're coming into a place of exile, which they were told earlier that for 400 years they're going to be enslaved to an, to a, uh, an, and they're going to be in exile in a land that doesn't belong to them. So they must have felt very uncomfortable. It was nice to ease the pain that what? That it was exciting because from the Levi's caravan there was suddenly a cry, Mazel Tov! A little girl was born. And that was Yochevet. So she is born at that time. Now, how long were the Jews in Mitzrayim? The Jews were in Egypt for 210 years. Okay, so she's born when they're coming into Mitzrayim. The Jews stay in Mitzrayim 210 years. Now Moshe Rabbeinu was born somewhere in the middle of when they came until they went out. When was Moshe born? Well, the Torah says explicitly that Moshe was 80 years old when he stood before Paro. That means that she had Moshe Rabbeinu 80 years before the going out of Egypt. So now, if they're there 210 years, 210 minus 80 makes her 130 years old when she gave birth to Moshe. It's even a bigger miracle than Sarah. Sarah, the Torah, makes a whole big to-do that what? That she was 90 years old when she had a baby Yitzchak, and here she's 40 years old. The, the Ibn Ezra has a problem with it. Ibn Ezra doesn't want to accept what the sages say. He says, if this would have been the truth, now, can't argue, he says, but Al-Bibshat, he doesn't get it. 
How can it be? If the Torah, it doesn't make any sense. You see, if this would have been such a miracle, the Torah doesn't tell us there was a miracle. And by sorrow we make such a big deal. So the Maral gets very upset at the Ebenezer. And the Maral says, Chas v'shalem, that you're, you're questioning what the sages say. First of all, he says the Torah is not a storybook to tell you every, every miracle. The Torah is not here, even though miracles are important, but the Torah doesn't have to tell you. The Torah is here, the Torah is the blueprint of creation, and what makes it into the Torah and what doesn't make it into the Torah is not how sensational the news is. That's not what the Torah is about, trying to give us sensational news. Quite on the contrary, sometimes you have these elements spoken about in the Torah that seem to be very repetitive, very unimportant, about the washing of the feet of Eliezer when he came to, uh, that he washed his feet. Is that so important? That obviously, the Torah speaks of things and it's all, whatever the Torah knows based on God's infinite wisdom has to be in the Torah, is in the Torah, and whatever is not. Secondly, he says, the reason why this is not such a great miracle because it happened in the time when every woman, in e- Jewish woman in Mitzrayim was having six babies and six babies at a time Maybe 20 years in a row. So you had 60 children. Since the whole birth rate in Mitzrayim exploded miraculously. So the fact that an old lady of 130 years old didn't really make the, all, everybody's eyebrows go up. And, and because it was common that miracles were happening in regards to having children. Fine, that's why it does it. But this is what we get over here. Rashi says she was 130 years old. Now... Um, this is Rashi, is based on a Gemara, over here, Masechta Sota, and Masechta Baba Basra. Where do we know, from where do we know, that Yocheved was born, when they came through the, the, the doors of, when they came through the, the, um, the gates of Mitzrayim. So the Gemara says, we derive it from a Pasuk, in Parshas Pinchas, in the book of Numbers, in Bamidbar, over here it says, Perek Chavav, Pasuk Nuntes, chapter 26 in Numbers, verse 59. V'shem Eishas Amram, and the wife, and the name of the wife of Amram, Yocheved Baslevi. Over there it's talking about the Jewish people. Why is it, it, and it's giving us all the whole family again, pertaining to entering Eretz Yisrael. This is at the end of the 40 years, the Jews are ready to go into the land of Israel. So it's talking about all the families that survived the 40-year trek. And these are the families that are ready to go into Eretz Yisrael. So it recounts the families again. And over there it says, the, the name of the wife of Amram is Yocheved Bas Levi, The Pasuk says, she gave birth, her. This Yocheved gave birth, this girl, Yocheved, I'm sorry, um, this boy, um, um, sorry, no, 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 um, not Yocheved gave birth for Levi, Yo- Levi, Levi's wife gave birth for this, to this girl, to Levi, for Levi, Bimitzrayim in Egypt. So Rashi, so, so the Gemara says, it seems like this whole, these few words are all superfluous. It says already, Yocheved Bas Levi, that she's the Bas Levi. If she's the Bas Levi, obviously she was born to Levi. What does the Torah have to say? She was born to Levi. So the Gemara learns out from these extra words that says that what? She was born to Levi, which was unnecessary. 
This is to teach you, the Torah wants to teach you something about her. What, what does the Torah wants to teach you? You should notice the words, Bimitzrayim. She was born in Egypt. What's the emphasis? She was born in Egypt, but she wasn't conceived in Egypt. That means that when was she conceived? When did her mother become pregnant with her? When the, when the family was still living in the old, in the old shtetl, when they were still living in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel, this is where she was born. Not she was born, that's where she was conceived. She, she gave birth at exactly when they were coming into Egypt. Now, whenever we have in the Torah um, various different um, happenings or occurrences or ideas, where one idea is derived from another idea, it makes sense to say that it's not only that we're deriving point A from point B, from this and this verse we derive one from the other, but that one is actually a cause for the other. That means that when the Torah is deriving something from a pasuk or from a certain incident, one thing is derived from the other, it's not just to give us, oh, where do we know this information? Because the Torah narrates the story like this and it says something a little funny, so it catches our attention, so obviously it wants to teach us that. Yeah, but why did the Torah teach it to us in that place? In regards to that, in regards to something else. The reason is because this is a derivative from that. Which means, where are we getting at? The fact that Yocheved became young, returned to her youth, when she, before she gave birth to Moshe, must be a derivative from what? How do we know that that was a miracle? Okay. How do we know she became young again? A miracle happened. That's because we have just proved that she was old. Because she was old, because we just verified her age. We verify her age and we find out, hey, she's 130 years old. Why does it say Bas Levi? So it must be a miracle happened that she was transformed to becoming young again. Now how do we know that she was, that she was now already an old lady? She was 130. Because we have a verse that says that she was born as soon as they came into Egypt. So that's how we know she was old. And she was born only when she came into, into Egypt, but she was conceived before that. Since we know the miracle that she became young from the fact that what? That she was conceived when she was still in the land of Canaan. It makes sense to say that the reason she was, the miracle happened, or rather let's say the cause of the miracle, that she became young, is because she is not a native in Egypt. She came from the old from the old, from, 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 from the pre gullus she came from before the exile, from living in the land of Canaan. Because she was born before, and not just because she was born, both things together, she was, because she was conceived before, and she was born when she came into Egypt, so she kind of straddles both worlds. She was over there and over there. Her conception was when she was still in the land of Canaan. And her birth was in Mitzrayim. That, that, that is what produces the miracle that when she is going to have her child, he is going to be born through a miracle happening that she becomes young. 
Because one is deduced from the other. So again, what I'm saying is it's not just a, a place where we learn it out from, but actually it's a cause. Her birth, her being born when she's coming into the Choma, is the cause for her, for her, for the miracle, for her becoming young again. And this is all related to her being the mother of Moshe. Because where do we know, again, from where do we know this idea that um, she was born way back then? Let's, let's think about this. Where does the Gemara learn out from? But where does the Talmud learn out from? That she was um, born right when they were coming into Mitzrayim. How do we know that? It's because over here it says, it's because the words, Asheyolda Oysal in Mitzrayim is superfluous, it's extra. Because we know already that she's Bas Levi. Okay, now where do we know that she's Bas Levi? Because it says so in, Parsha, in our Parsha, Parsha Shemos. It says that, so from here we know already that she's Bas Levi. Why does the Torah have to say it again? So which means that by telling you that she's Bas Levi in regards to the birth of Moshe, so because Moshe has to be born, that's the reason Hashem had already worked it out way back then that his mother should be conceived when she's still in the land of Canaan, which will later cause that before Moshe is born, a miracle happens and she becomes young. So now what we're doing really is we're taking three things and we're connecting them, each one, one being a cause for the other. And I'm going to add one more thing to the chain. Where does the Torah reveal to us this idea that from where do we derive it all that she was really so old? We said earlier, where does the Torah tell you these words? It doesn't say it over here. It says it only in Parshas Pinchas. Which means when the Jewish people are ready to go into the land of Israel, it's only at that point where we get this information retroactively from, going, from the time the Jewish people are ready to go into Eretz Israel, From reading the Chumash, describing the family of Israel, the family of the Jewish people during that time, over there we find out that what? It says extra words, which tells you that she must have been born already way back then. She, only when they walked into the Chaimah, when they went into the... So what we really have over here is four things that are linked together. Okay, if I got you a little confused, don't worry. I'm just going to link these four things together and you'll see what, what we, where we're going with this. What four things are linked together? We start like this. Okay? For whatever reason... Because the Jewish people needed to go into Eretz Yisrael, okay? Because the Jewish people need to go into Eretz Yisrael, similar to us right now, because at that time Jews are going into the land of Israel, because we're going to see soon that living in the land of Israel means to live in a complete different reality. In order for us today to be able to experience the coming of Mashiach and move to the land of Israel, which that's the, all the tension that's going on in the world now, is whether the Jews can go back to the land of Israel, and all of the land of Israel is ours, okay? So the same is also, the Jews then, then, are ready in Parshas Pinchas to enter the land of Israel the first time. In order for them to be able to enter the land of Israel, it requires an enormous spiritual preparation. Follow. To lift these people and make them ready to go into the land of Israel, requires an enormous power, spiritual power, to be able to lift them up into the land of Eretz Yisrael. 
In order for them now, in order for them to be able to do that, they first need to go what? They need to come out of Egypt. Egypt is the opposite of the land of Israel. So we need to, we're stuck in Mitzrayim. We need to come out of Mitzrayim so that we can be later planted in the land of Israel. So in order for us to be able to go out of Mitzrayim, we need a redeemer. A person cannot free himself from his own chains. You need someone, if you have your hands tied, the sages say, In mater A prisoner cannot release himself. You need someone that's outside of the prison to come out to, 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 to free you. So therefore, to go out of Mitzrayim, we needed a Moshe Rabbeinu, a leader, a redeemer. Now, for Moshe Rabbeinu to be able to redeem us, Moshe Rabbeinu had to be born a miraculous birth. Following along the points, for us to enter the land of Israel, which is really, really the end goal, for us to enter the land of Israel, we first have to go out from Egypt. To go out from Egypt when you're imprisoned in Egypt, you need to have a redeemer. That redeemer, Moshe, needs to be born a miraculous birth from a mother who becomes young again before she gives birth to him. Now, in order for that to happen, that, this bo- that, that the Redeemer, following, in order that the Redeemer um, should, I'm sorry, the mother of the Redeemer, to have this miracle happen to her, for her should to become young, she herself needs to be coming from a place which is before the exile. She has to be linked up to the land of Israel. It's only because she's linked up to the land of Israel. How is she linked up to the land of Israel? She's linked up to the land of Israel because she's conceived when they're still in Israel. But why can't she be like everybody else? The whole, all the 70, besides Menashe and Ephraim, but all the other 70 were all born in Israel. Why can't she be born there? No, 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 no. That doesn't work either. She can't be born in Israel. She has to become conceived in Israel. Follow that. She must be born in Mitzrayim but conceived in the land of Israel. As a result of that, we're going to see soon, she captures that spiritual energy of Israel in her DNA, which materializes in what? In an amazing miracle happening. That what? That she becomes young again before she has Moshe. Then she gives birth to Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu now is empowered with with the power of Eretz Yisrael, with that great, great energy, which we're soon going to see what that is, he's able to, as a result of that, pull the Jewish people out of the entrapment and the constrictions and the darkness of Egypt. And, but just to take us out of Egypt, he wouldn't have to have the energy from Eretz Yisrael. It's mainly that he can finally haul us, even though he himself doesn't go, he can bring us to the border of the land of Israel and help us, push us, and help us have that ultimate elevation to enter into Eretz Yisrael. And all these things, that's, you see how the Torah connects one to the other. One thing is derived from the other, which I'm not going to go through again, but if you, if you figure it out, one thing is derived from to teach you how each one is a cause for the next thing. Okay. So in order to understand this, we need to get a better understanding of what is the, what is the, the exile. See, as mentioned earlier, exile is much more than just a physical, a state of physical uh, persecution and, and uh, enslavement. 
Exile is a deep, has a deep psychological effect. It's a, it's a real constriction on our souls and a real distortion of our, of our um, of reality. It's what it is. It's a distortion of reality. Now, how do you see to understand and appreciate the distortion of reality that happens in exile? Let's take a look at something else and relate it to the Jewish people coming down to Mitzrayim. We see that the Jewish people came down into Egypt in two shifts, meaning the descent to Mitzrayim came in two stages. The Medrash is bothered in the beginning of this week's parsha. It says, "Ela Shemois Bnei Yisrael." These are the names of the Jewish people, Habaim Mitzrayim, that came down into Egypt. And the Medrash is bothered, Habaim Mitzrayim, which seems to imply they're coming now into Egypt. The last, in Parshas Vayechi, in the end of the last Torah portion, it says already that Yosef died. Yosef died 70 years after the Jewish people came to Egypt. So they're there already for 70 years. You're calling them now Habaim Mitzrayim? That's the question that the Medrash states. So the Medrash, Medrash Rabbits, also Medrash Tanchuma. So the Medrash answers to this. There were many years in Egypt. As long as Yosef was still alive, Joseph was alive, they did not have the load of Egypt. When Yosef died, they put upon them the, 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 the load. That means, even though they were there for 70 years, until Pasha Shamos, Yosef was still alive. So there was no load. They didn't feel the pressure. Once Yosef died, which is the last words in Pasha's Vayachi, Yosef died, they put him in a coffin. What happens in the next Pasha? It felt as if they came into a new land. Now we can understand what does that mean, that until that time, even though the Mitzrim didn't really love the Jews, and deep inside they harbored animosity to them, but they would never dare express it because they were terrified of Yosef. Once um, Yosef died, we can imagine that even though we see Rashi, the Gemara tells us that the enslavement didn't start, and you learn, learn it out from the Pasuk over here, until all the tribes passed away. It's Pasuk says, Yosef died and his brothers and the entire generation. Yosef was the first of the 12 tribes to die, to pass away. So Levi was the one who lived quite a bit longer. Only when the whole entire generation died, then the persecution began. So the slave, the enslavement and the labor camps, yeah. But we can imagine that swastikas or whatever were already sometimes painted on the walls or things like that. And a Jew was... was, 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 uh, was um, you know, they, they, they call, they, they yell Jew on the street or things like that. To like, uh, you can see that the abuse, verbal abuse and various different things, they can sense already the pressure of Mitzrayim. That's why it says, Haba Mitzrayim. Actually, it's interesting. The same words, Ve'ele Shemais B'nei Yisrael Haba Mitzrayim is stated in Parshas Vayigash. The exact same words. Now the Torah repeats it again. Because coming into Egypt is two stages. Stage number one was... When, when they came down physically with Yaakov and the whole family, geographically they came into Egypt, stage number two was when Yosef died. Now here we have to distinguish and, and realize something. You see, the Golos Mitzrayim, the, the sages point to many stages. I just mentioned. When Yosef died, it got dark. But they were still a respected family. No one would, God would dare persecute them. When what? 
these are the family of the royal, of the brothers of the, of the man who saved Egypt. He saved Egypt. Yosef was the biggest hero. So they were all the brothers, so no one would dare do anything. When all of them died, that's when the, slowly but surely the enslavement and the suffering and the persecutions begin. But even that, it says, it didn't really get bad, really, really bad, until Miriam was born. The last 86 years was the most horrific years. So you see, they went slowly, slowly. But yet, even though there are many stages in the Egyptians, the Egyptian exile taking, taking effect, and, and the, the, the exile getting a iron, you know, sinking its teeth into the Jewish people, it came stage by stage. Yet, we see that the Torah only makes a big deal about two stages. One era in exile was when Yosef was still alive, and then the second era in exile is when Yosef passes on. That means that all the consequential Stages where the Gullus was getting, where the, where the grip of Egypt was getting tighter and tighter and tighter, they're not considered a new phase in exile. They are within exile itself, it's getting darker, but it's not considered a whole new phenomenon. A new phenomenon is only when Yosef dies. It's like a new chapter. You also see it from the fact that this is the point where we end Bereshis and we go into Shamos. That means that in Parshas, um, 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 uh, Vayigash, you have chapter 1 of exile. That's in Sefer Bereshis, the book of Genesis. And in the book of Shamos, the book of Exodus, the second Sefer, you have phase 2 of exile. The rest of it is all part of one chapter. It's all getting darker and darker. They're taking the babies, they're murdering, they're throwing them into the river. It's getting really bland, but it's all part. It's all within the same chapter. This, the Torah, separates into two chapters. Now it can't be the physical abuse. Because the physical abuse, I would say, the next stage when Yosef dies, and and his brothers die, and the entire generation, and they actually start summoning everybody to sign up for work, and they take them to concentration camps, and they start, that physically is a far more horrific um, uh, um, this, um, exile than what was going on before. It's one thing to be called Jew on the street or whatever to be to be uh, to have this, to be discriminated against. The darkness of the difference between Yosef was alive and Yosef died physically was not so was not so bad. You have to say that what we're talking about over here is the psychological spiritual transformation that happened once when Yosef died. Some light went out in their soul. As long as Yosef was alive, was alive, there was a certain illumination, there was a certain awareness that was powerfully felt to the Jewish people. When Yosef died, that light went away. Now the first time it got dim, spiritually, was when they came into Egypt. Egypt itself, by coming into Egypt, to a certain degree it suffocated their souls. But they still had what we might call oxygen tank to breathe as long as Yosef was alive. When Yosef died, even those oxygen tanks were taken away. And now they were suffocating in Egyptian culture, in Egyptian outlook, in Egyptian worldview. That's the difference. These are these two stages. It's interesting when it's hinted to, in, right when the Shvatim say to Yosef, they're telling him the story, they say, Yorad Yoradnu, we came down to buy food. So Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liyadi, the Balatanya says, is this indicating of two levels of spiritual descent of exile. 
God promises the Jewish people, Hashem promises Yaakov Avinu, Elcha Gam Oloi, I am gonna call, I'm gonna bring you up, I will also bring you up. He repeats two times, I will bring you up. You know why? Corresponding to the two descents of going down and going down further spiritually, God promises He will take us up also in two stages. Then Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the entire Oyer, says something very, very powerful. He says, Guess what? The fall that we fell happened when we went down to Egypt. We fell twice. One when the Jews entered Mitzrayim, one when Yosef died. We had two times we fell spiritually. When we went out of Mitzrayim, we really only went out of the first, of the, of the lower fall, but we never really went, we were never restored to the original state that we were, even when we came into the land of Israel. The second elevation is going to be by the coming of Mashiach. In other words, we never really went out of Egypt. Even though we had a base on Migdash and we were in our holy land, we never completely went out of Egypt. Because we never went out. We went down two steps, we fell down twice. We went up back one, but we never went back up. The second one, that's going to be when Mashiach comes. So let's understand a little bit. What is the fall of what happened? And, what's, and what, what is this very, very fundamental change that happened when Yosef when Yosef passed away. And the idea is like this. So we have to understand fundamentally what is the difference between Egypt and the land of Canaan. Egypt is a place where... Oh, so here we see an interesting idea. When Yosef spoke to Paro, we find that Yosef refers to... Yosef speaks to Paro, and he, Yosef is always mentioning God's name. But when Yosef speaks to Paro, Yosef mentions the name of Elohim. He says, Elohim yana eshlom paro. Elohim is going to answer. You're asking me. Yapar says, I hear you're very smart. Yosef says, it's not me. God is going to answer. And then Hashem, and then Yosef tells paro again. Asher Elohim osa, that which God is doing. Heres paro, he's showing paro. That's what he's planning to do. Yosef mentions the name of Elohim. Many years later, Moshe comes and Moshe mentions the name of... And paro doesn't protest. Even though paro is an idolater. Even though Paro is a pagan, he doesn't protest when Yosef tells him Elohim. He seems to accept it and go along with it. Not only that, Paro even says the name of Elohim. Paro says, um, in one of his things, he says, like, have we found someone that that he mentions Hashem's name as smart as you? And then when he appoints Yosef, that Elohim, he does even mention. So it's clearly that even though he's a He's an idolater. He's okay with using the name of Elohim, referring to God. However, when Moshe comes to him, Moshe tells him, um, Ko Amar Hashem, so says Hashem, Yudke Vavke. He mentions the tetragrammaton, God's name. And Paro immediately says, Lo Yodaiti as Hashem, I don't know God. Even though Paro didn't protest when he mentions the name of Elohim. And the reason is, herein lies the secret of the darkness of Egypt. Egypt was a place that relied and lived in a mindset that nature is nature. And nature is absolute. And the world runs through a certain system. And the system is a system. Now let's understand something. Someone asked me this question today. I mean, if they believed only in science and in nature, so why were they so into sorcery and into magic and all these? 
they had a deep understanding of science. They didn't only understand the physical mechanics of science, they understood the spiritual dynamics as well. That there are behind every physical force, there is a spiritual power, an angelic being that's the source of this energy of this power. So when they examined fire, they also rooted in and tapped into the spiritual force behind fire and behind this force and beyond. However, that's all that they saw. They saw the various different powers in nature and they saw these powers as absolutely powers and that there, there isn't a... And they didn't believe in Hashem who transcends all these powers, all these natural forces and that God is really in control of the world. They saw these powers as absolutes. They were able to tap into like the spiritual forces sometimes to manipulate things. But they believed very, very strongly in these forces. And that's the name of Elohim. Elohim is the name of God as God manifests within nature. The name of Elohim is Gematria 86, which is the Gematria, it's the numeric value of the word Hateva, the nature. And therefore they lived very, very strongly in that world of nature. Yudke Vavke, which is the Tetragrammaton, which is the name reserved to the Jewish people, is God as he is beyond his system that he created. And beyond even his energies that he emanates to work in a certain systematic way. Yudke Vavke, the very definite element of Yudke Vavke means that he is, was, and will be altogether, that he transcends time and space. And therefore he's not limited by any limitations, and he is the only one in charge over everything. And nothing moves without him. That's the Yudke Vavke. Mitzrayim does not know this power. I want to read to you a Zohar. The Zohar says very clearly, fascinating Zohar. Um, the Zohar says, Rab Abba Omer Rab Abba says, Tochazi, come and see. Bahu Rasha the Paro, and that wicked man Paro, do Omer lo Yadaiti as Hashem, he says, I don't know God. Upari Chakim have a Makoh Harshoi. Paro was very wise, more than all of his sorcerers. The name of Elohim. So how can he be? He doesn't know. He doesn't believe. He doesn't know in a God. Of course he does. The name of Elohim he knows. Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking for the words earlier. Paro says, are we going to find a person whose spirit of God is in him? So what was his problem? Because Moshe came to him, The name of Yudkei Vavkei, And not with the name of Elohim. And this irked him, this bothered him. He could not stand that Moshe is coming to him with the name Yudkei Vavkei. And you wonder, so what? So he has a different name. He's still believing in God. No, it's a whole different story. The name of Elohim and the name of Yudkei Vavke is a whole different story. And Paro is perfectly comfortable with the name of Elohim, but he's uncomfortable and he can't hear, and it's scratching in his ears if you tell him the name Yudkei Vavke. He can't bear it. He knew that the name of Elohim dominates the world. What is the name of Elohim? The source of all natural phenomena. That's the name of Elohim. And he knew there is one, there is one being from him branches off all these various different powers that are all the underlying current of nature and of science. Okay? But the name of God, he didn't know the name of Yudkei Vyavke. And this bothered him. And that's what it says, Vayachazek Hashem slave Paro. The Zohar says, it says that God hardened Paro's heart. You know what hardened Paro's heart? Every time Moshe walked in and mentioned 
the name Yudke Vavke, he became so angry and so stubborn that you're talking to me about them. That itself stubborn his heart. That he was fighting him at such a core thing. The Mila Da, this word, have askivli beva actually. He couldn't stand it. And that's why Moshe persistently, on purpose, did not use any other name. Moshe every time came back with that same name of Shalachas Amis, send my people, Ko Amar Hashem, so says Yudke Vavke. It's very interesting. The Zohar, okay? So this is a source for this idea. Power doesn't recognize. Now we have to understand that this is not just a... This is something that Paro, he has a problem. He doesn't want to recognize in a force in Hashem that has a power over nature and God is miraculous and he can do miracles. And in the end, God showed him miracles. If there was ever a place that God said that, he, that the forces of nature are completely subservient to him and he does them whatever he wants and he can turn the whole world over upside down, <laughs> he was shown to Paro, great. But let's understand something. It's not, so to speak, Paro's fault so much. It has to do with the very, very chemistry of the very, very, very um, uh, makeup of the Egyptians and of the Egyptian land. God created the land of Egypt to facilitate this idea. There is Psukim in Sefer Devarim where God distinguishes between the land of Mitzrayim and the land of Egypt. And in those Psukim, Parshas Ekev, God says his stunning words over here. Hashem says, I want to tell you what kind of land I'm taking you into. The land that you are coming into, Lerishta, to, to inherit that land, it's not like the land of Egypt. That you went out over there. Over there in Egypt, you had to sow your, your seeds. You had to go and, and, and water it with your, with, your, with your own feet. But the land that you're going to, um, going to is a land of mountains and valleys and limtara shamayim tishtemayim. This is the difference. This is the difference. This is the one difference. And what is that? To the rains of heaven you will drink water. That's what God says is the difference. In Egypt you are relying on a Nile River. And if you're coming into the land of Israel, I will bring you into a land where you are going to look and wait for the clouds, for the rain to come. And then it says, uh, Eretz, and he concludes, a land a land that God seeks out its well-being. Hashem's eyes are on that land. Hashem's eyes are on the land all the time. What, what does the Torah want to say? Okay, here you're getting the water from the river. Here you get the water from, from, from the rain. And therefore what? Is that all? So the answer is, it's exactly this. The Medrash tells us in the beginning of Bereshah, why did God make that, we, that, that the water needs to get rain? Hashem could bring water so many other ways. Why does God make that it needs to receive rain? The Medrash says there are four reasons. And the Medrash says God considered doing it another way, but he didn't. And he said there are four reasons why he's going to make the water, the earth drink from the waters of the sky. And it says, interesting, number one, one reason is that people shouldn't bully. If there would be only natural resources down here, then the strong would, would, would take control over the water and the poor would not have it. So when he's giving rain, so if a poor man has a field, they can't take away his rain just because. You know, so God says, I'm taking care. And there's another few reasons, a high place, a low place, not going to get into it. But the last reason, most important reason, the Medrash says is because God wants that people should raise their eyes up to heaven and know that they are reliant on Hashem. If you get your water, when you, when, when, when you, when you, when you, 
it's hard for us to imagine because we, we are so used to, it's part of, part of the darkness of exile, part of, we're so used to, where does food come from? Ralph's, Glotmart, that's where food comes from. But people that are, have farms, and you literally know that you're dependent. If you're going to have bread on your table for your children, all the work that you're doing, you're working and working and plowing and sowing and doing and making and doing and doing and doing and doing and what in the end, it's all dependent if the clouds will come rolling in and the rains will come. You can work all year long, break your back, do the hard, hard farm work is very hard. If the rains will not come, it is all in vain. And chas v'shalem, one will starve. The only way that, that, that things will grow is if the rain comes. Well, in Egypt, the system was different. In Egypt, there was a Nile River, and the Nile River never ceases. Sometimes it's low river, sometimes it's high river. Waters are lower, lower, higher. But in general, Egypt is always experiencing water. The river is always coming. And even if the rivers are low, okay, so it's natural causes. You don't sense that it's connected to the rain that is dependent right now. And that's why. So in Eretz Yisrael, but let's understand something. This physical phenomenon is really derivative from something spiritual. The land of Israel is a land, it's a holy land, and it's directly under God Himself's providence. He does not give the, His influence, His ashpah, His life flow, does not come through mediators of the various different constellations, of the various different zodiac, and all these things don't work in the land of Israel. It's, it's Hashem directly feeding every creature and every being in the land of Eretz Yisrael. It's directly from him to us. It says, over there, Rabbeinu Bachaya says this, here we go, She'ein, over there, in, in Parshas Ekev, She'ein Eretz Yisrael nesuna tachas mamsheles hakoichovim. Eretz Yisrael is not under the dominion of the stars, v'amazolo, so the constellations, kishara, rotsa, it's like the other lands. Ve'ein o'inim seres ledrishas alekaim maila, kishara ak... Uh, it's not like all the other climates. Hashem Himself seeks it out, tamed all the time. Hashem did not appoint any other powers. Any ruler. And that's what David Amelech says. All my hopes and all my aspirations. Or Mayane also means my springs, all my springs of water and life. Bach is in you. I have no one else to turn to for success. I know that my parnasa and my livelihood, my sustenance can only come from you directly, Hashem. Nothing else is gonna have is gonna is gonna decide my well-being but you. When you live in the land of Israel, not today. But when we live today to a certain degree, but when we lived in the land of Israel, when Mashiach is here, or when they lived when the Beis Hamikdash was standing, you sensed it in every fiber of your being. You saw that your sustenance and your life force is coming from God, and, and you, you needed something, you stood, you davened, and it would happen. And if you tried other things, it doesn't work. You have to turn to Hashem for your help. That's the way it was crystal clear in the land of Eretz Israel. Now, What's the, how about all the other nations? So in the other nations, there's two levels. There are all the other countries in the world besides the land of Israel. They are not directly under God's direct influence, even though they are. 
But Hashem feeds them and channels His energy through the constellations and through the various different things, which create kind of some kind of a facade as if these powers have real truth, real power. Really, in truth, it's Hashem operating everything. But He's masking it through the various different. He does allow the various different angels to carry it down. In Eretz Yisrael, no one is carrying it. It's Hashem Himself feeding you like a mother feeding a little baby. Every every spoon, every every little spoonful is coming directly. From from Hashem into your mouth. That's the way it is in Eretz Yisrael. In other countries, Hashem sends this one to give it to this one, to give it to that one, but it's coming from God. Since they too need to come on to reign, they too have a sense of an, a godly, of something godly, of there's an influence from above. It's not so dark. The land of Egypt is the land that spiritually, the chemistry of the land, the way God crafted that country is that it's a place of extreme concealment. And people that live there have no way to real to sense that there is a true Hashem is in control. And there is there's such a powerful sense of I need to look out for myself. And my my security is dependent on my, me going to the Nile River, me making good irrigation um, channels to be able to feed my family, to take care of myself. There's a powerful sense of independence. Independence. And one feels as if they're really in control on their own. Now we all know, obviously, what does that do? What does that do? So let me show you something interesting. Further in Parshas Akev, it says, God says in the next Parshas, the Parsha of Ahoyim Shemoya. What does Hashem say? The famous in the Shema. He says, if you will listen to me, what, what will I do? Since, since you just realize you're living in the land of Israel, and therefore what? You know that what? That I'm the one who can give you your parnasa or not. I can hold it. And it's only in me. It's not dependent on anything else. So what does the Pasuk say? If you don't behave, I'm going to hold back the heavens. There won't be rain. If you will do my mitzvahs, it will rain. So listen to, listen to this. The Rabbeinu Bachai says, Why didn't God give you an Eretz Mashke ke Eretz Mitzrayim? Why didn't God give you a land that kind of irrigates itself like the land of Egypt? So you should feel that you're not in control. And what do you have to do? You're always going to have to turn to God. You're going to have to ask Him for the keys. We know that what? That the keys of rain... Only God has the keys of rain. So you're going to have to ask Him for your keys. And I want to tell you a very good secret in education with your children. You have teenagers in your house, okay? Now they want to take your car, they learn how to drive. Once they learn how to drive, you know that mm, your control over them is already on a whole different level. But as long as they don't have their own pair of keys. You see, as long as they have to come to ask you for the keys, then you know that they know that they still have to, to some degree, listen to you. The moment they have their own keys, forget about it. They're totally independent and you've lost the, any vestige, any remnant of control over your children. Forget about it. Because they have their own keys. So that's the difference. In the land of Egypt, God gave the Egyptians their own keys. They don't have to turn to God for anything. That bolsters and that develops and that creates a very strong sense that my life is my life and I'm in control. And I feel that this is my life. And I look at this. There's a pasuk in 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 Yecheskel. It says over here, um, Hashem says to Paroi, um, 
God speaks to Paroi, Cheskel Chavtes, Pasa Gimel. Hinani Alecha Paroi, Melech Mitzrayim, King of Egypt, Atan and Agado, the big uh, crocodile. Aroivich Betoich Yoirov, that is, that swims in his, in his, in his, in, in his rivers. Asher Omar, he says, Leah Oiri, my, my river is mine, Vaniya Sisani, I created myself. Rashi says, I don't need the uppers. I have my river. I have a river that takes care of everything. I have a retirement fund. I have enough money in my retirement fund to take me and everything. I have nobody to worry. Everybody knows. If a person knows that they're kind of security. Today's day is the biggest thing. This is Mitzrayim is America. If you don't see it. Financial security. You have absolute financial security. You have nothing to worry about. You've well diversified your portfolio. Baruch Hashem, not for you, for your children, your grandchildren, great-children, retirement. You have nothing to worry about forever. You are secure. Then, if you're secure, then God is a very nice concept. I'm telling you that if you're all secure, then God is a beautiful concept. But if you don't have a penny for tomorrow, and every single day, you lift up your eyes to heaven, and you say, Hey, Mishter, Please feed me and my family. And by the end of the day, guess what? You fed you and your family and you know how? You have no idea how, but you know what happened. Then you know and you sense deeply, deeply, deeply that you are, that Hashem is, Hashem is your power and Hashem is your life. God says to the Jewish people, I don't want you to live in a land of Egypt where you have financial security. I want you to live in a land of Eretz Yisrael where every penny and every nickel and every dime I'm going to give you all the time so that you're in a deep relationship with me. You turn to me, you recognize I'm your father, I'm your mother. I care about you and I love you and I take care of you. Now, if you live that way with anxiety and you're nervous and you're uncomfortable, God says, I don't like that. But if you can kind of put yourself in a place where you have zero anxiety and zero worry because you know that Hashem is there for you all the time, and he will for sure take care of you, without a doubt. Then Hashem is in a deep relationship. And Hashem says to Jews, I want you to live in Eretz Yisrael, because that's the way you live in the land of Israel. In the land of Egypt, you're in charge. It's your world, you're in charge, you're in power. And that ego, and that sense of, one becomes so subjugated to the calculations of how, of, of how, how, how Wall Street works, and how my money is going to be moved from here and this, and what the economy projections, and what, and what, and what the, 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 um, the, the, those that are looking out now with a new presidency and new Trump economy, what's going to be, and so on and so forth, where you kind of feel secure because of this and because of that. All of that is Egyptian, is Egyptian philosophy. It's Egyptian ideology. And this is what God wanted. This is what Hashem wants for the Jewish people to be a different kind of existence. That we recognize it's all directly from Hashem. Now, if you're, the truth is, a person has financial security and they have power and they have strength and this and that, and okay, maybe you have something, but then you're only as strong and only as rich and only as as much that, that you have. And even that you don't really have because you think you have it. And then one day it can be gone. But if someone is completely comfortable with God and with Hashem taking care of them and they live in this higher, deep emuna and bitachin and they're so... Then you have everything. There's mamish. Then you're super rich. Then you're never lacking because God is not lacking anything. 
And your mamish don't have any, any worry ever. It's an unbelievable way to live. It's hard. It's very hard to be able to put ourselves in that place. But when you do that, you're a real free, liberated people person. I read, lately I'm reading a lot of stories of tzaddikim after I did my trip and we went to all the kvarim. I became very attached to reading stories. And I realized that these stories have so much more of an influence on me than all the learning that I learned because these stories are so deep. And I'm reading a lot about the Hasidic masters. They did not go to sleep at night if there was a penny in their house. Every dollar they had, many of them, had to be distributed to the poor before they went to sleep. And it's not because they knew what's going to happen tomorrow. It's precisely that. They did not want to be under any other security but for the fact that the one who feeds the entire world is going to feed them. And there's a story of Ramelech of Lazenz that I was reading that one, and he literally could not go to sleep at night if there was a penny in his house. And he literally he went to bed and he, was some, he couldn't sleep. People in the house would have to get up and look and search, or he would search, and people to look around if there is, why is there, there would be a problem. Then one time, there was, they searched and searched and searched, and there was, like they're searching for chametz, literally like they're searching for chametz, they couldn't find a penny. What happened was someone came to town, and he was a chassid, and he brought a big package of kvitlach, of pidyons people sent for brachas, and everybody gave an envelope with money. But the guy was, he arrived in town very late, so he went to an inn, and he was going to go there tomorrow. But Ramelach's neshama was so sensitive that there was something that's holding, that's still, because the money is already kind of his. Because he's bringing it for him. And he did not want to have anything that's attaching him to anything. But in the morning, he'll daven. He'll say, Hashem, please, and feed my family. And Hashem will send parnas. That's Moshiach. That's the world of the future. That's where a world is directly connected to God. And so now let's see something. Now let's understand the difference between when Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim, Yaakov saw with his own eyes the miracles. Yaakov lived in Lavan's house, remember? And, he, and, and at that time, Lavan cheated him with every kind of cheating possible. Against all odds, he should have walked out with penniless, even worse than when he came. Instead, Yaakov left a millionaire. Why? Because Hashem took care of him. And literally Hashem brought, the malachim came and brought the sheep and the, oh, a whole series of miracles. Yaakov's entire life was miraculous. And therefore the entire family that was born and living in the land of Israel lived with this idea that God is my rock. God is my Hashem Mauzi. Hashem is my power. You are the one who pulled me out of my mother's womb. You're the one, uh, the word over there, the Pasuk says, you're the one who gives me the milk. When, I, when I'm nursing from my mother, it's you who provided me with food then. And just like you provided me food then, you're going to provide me for, with, with, for all my life. That's what David HaMelech says. The family knew that in every fiber of their being. But when they came down to Egypt, where Egypt, it says an interesting thing. It says that in the name of Elohim, which is the name of concealment itself, there are 120 different combinations of the letters of Elohim. You can combine the letters in 120. 120 different ways. In one way, the Aleph is first, and then the Lamed. Then you can, if you do the math, you see there's 120 different ways you can scramble the word Elohim. Each one is darker and darker and more concealment. The last 48 is where Egypt derives from. The darkest God has shrouded and concealed himself to the most extreme. That's called Admas B'nei Cham, the land of the Chamites. Cham is 48, Memchas. 
The land of Ham is the land of the most concealment and the most blockages. So when the Jewish people came down into Egypt, as soon as they came down into Egypt, to realize that that very culture and the very nature of the people and the very land geographically where they're standing started messing with their minds. And they started worrying about their parnasa and their livelihood. This idea of being totally security, true financial security, because God is behind you and he's taking care of you, this has went, went away from them. However, listen to what happened now. When Yaakov came to Mitzrayim, Yaakov blessed the Nile River. And it says that when Paro came to the Nile River, whenever he came to the Nile River, the river rose up towards him. So when he came to the Nile, the river would rise towards him. It would be easier for him to take the water. So Paro would come to the Nile, the river would rise, and everybody would come and draw water because the river was going up to Paro. The question is asked, why in the world did Yaakov bless the Nile if the Nile was the Avodazar of Egypt? That's then why. Why it was the idol? Because the idol of Egypt means you have something else to blame your success on besides on God. That's an, that's an idol. So if the Nile is the idol of Egypt, why is Yaakov assisting the Nile? Yaakov didn't do it for Paro. Because Paro, the truth is, you know what happened to Paro? Paro, when he saw the Nile rising, even though initially he knew that it was Yaakov's blessing, after a while, what did he convince himself? Because he's such a dark being, that that too is his credit. That he is a god, and the water is coming up because of him. But it wasn't for Yaakov. You know who it was for? It was to help the Jewish people. Because when the Jewish people are coming down to Egypt, and then suddenly there's a whole new source of Parnassah. It's not the rains in heaven. You don't have to call out, God, can I have the keys? Can you open up? Can you unlock the, the shack? Can you bring me the rain? You don't have to do that. You have this Nile River. Yaakov wanted to make it easier for the Jewish people. So what did he do? He blessed the river that the Jews should see that even the sustaining power of Paro is coming from where? It's because of Yaakov's blessing. That means that too is coming from Hashem. So when the Jews saw that, as I said earlier, they didn't have any more, they couldn't breathe the air of the land of Israel, but they had an oxygen tank. By, by seeing this miracle and seeing that the Nile, even the Nile River is also controlled by, Yaak, by Yaakov, which means also controlled by, by God, they had some bit of light even in the darkness, even in Mitzrayim. How long did that last? As long as Yosef was alive. When Yosef passed away, they lost that illumination. Let's understand why. I'm going to do it very briefly because we're late. The idea is that Yosef it says, Eile told us Yaakov Yosef. You see, Yaakov is a very holy Jew. Very holy. His awareness is pure godliness. He sees Hashem, there's no obscurity. He's living in the highest world of Atsilos. He's living in a world where God is unobscured. The problem, Yaakov, is that he can't relate to people that are in a completely different place. He's too high, he's too detached. He's too godly. Sometimes you have people that are too spiritual and because they're so spiritual, they can't relate to their children who are living in a whole different reality. Yosef had a unique power. Yosef was the person who had the ability to translate the consciousness of Yaakov, the richness, his godly awareness, and bring that into a different place, into a lower place, into Mitzrayim. That's why Yosef was, we know, a tzaddik, even when he came down to Egypt. He lived completely one with Hashem. Therefore, it's, it's, I, I don't have time to go into it, but it's Yosef's quality of his neshama. He serves as a conduit to bring the truth of the transcendental truth that God is the only one and everything is dependent only on Hashem, the truth of Eretz Yisrael to bring that into Egypt. 
As soon as Yosef died, passed away, this is what happened. I want you, this needs it. Let's understand what happened. The Jewish people still had rabbis. The other tribes were still alive. They knew they still had, they, they had the knowledge that what blessed the Nile River? Who, how does the Nile River? They saw that even the Nile River is what? Rising up because of Yaakov's blessing. They heard it from their fathers. They heard it from the Shvatim. True, intellectually they knew it. Conceptually they knew it. But they did not feel it in their soul. You know why they didn't feel it? Because Yosef was spiritual Wi-Fi. And the moment Yosef died, that neshama of the tzaddik was not here anymore. No Wi-Fi connection. Boom! Darkness. So even though they hear about it, and they learn about it, and this guy says it in the shear, that it's all dependent on God, they're not sensing it. They are sensing, like we sense. You realize all of us, how needy are we? How worried do we get? How desperate are we when we don't know exactly? Oh, we have this bill coming. I don't know how I'm going to cover it. Oh, yeah, I don't know what this is. All that nervousness. Gewalt. Why is a Jew ever nervous? Never, never. Drop it. We should never be nervous about anything. Never be anxious about anything. This comes because we don't sense it. We hear about it, but we don't sense it. But we're not capable of sensing it. You know why we're not capable of sensing it? Because we're living in Egypt. We're living in Egypt. And something deeply, something very, very, very ugly, a deep virus has gone into our soul and has brought this deep, deep, a a bug that completely breaks the soul down and makes it American, makes it feel so strongly that we are empowered. Like, what does it say? I was thinking about this. I'm putting, I'm saving for my retirement. Why? Because I realized that what? That now I can work. Then I won't be have kayak to work. So what am I really saying? That really the power I have for my money is now. Because I, <laughs> but let's think about it. Why am I, why am I having money now? Because I realize that I'm the one. Because if, if I believe that Hashem is the one who's feeding me. So today he's feeding me. Today, it's not that I don't have to work. Every person is obligated to work. You have to go make a living. Well, when does God expect of you to make a living? When you're able to. When you can't. What does he expect of you then? He'll take care of you. I'm not necessarily knocking a retirement thing. I'm just saying the notion that we believe in it so strongly. And we sense so strongly that I'm kind of taking care of myself and I have security. This is a very, very deep klipa. You know what it does? It distances the heart from Hashem in a very deep way. Because sometimes people complain to me that my child doesn't like to daven. And I, you know, you can't daven unless you really need something from God. Then you can daven. If you really, if you really, if you, if Hashem is very real to you, I say, okay, you know, when you grow up, we'll have problems, and he needs to turn to Hashem, he'll daven. I'm not talking about Hasidic davening that's deep meditated. Just the basic idea of davening. When you, when you really, really sense that there's Hashem that is responsible for all your well-being and everything you have, and every time you need something, you just turn to him, and then you see miraculously, because people that are, for me, it's not because I want to, it's against my will that I was thrown into this situation, that I, that I have to live this way. Why? Because I run an organization and uh, the, today there's, there's nothing here for tomorrow. So we always live in this miracle. I have to fight the anxiety because sometimes it gets to me. But, we, but, but you get accustomed to it and you realize, you know what? Because I've seen miracles, miracles, unbelievable miracles. And I know and I remember when I had a job, when I was paid on a salary from a, from a thing and I had a you know, secure, the connection wasn't there. Anywhere close because when you know that Hashem is your only backbone, you have nowhere else to turn to for anything, but to Him, God becomes so real. And your relationship to Him becomes so real. 
I'm not saying that one should not have, but, but one has to change their mind, their mindset. It takes a lot. Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore, for the Jewish people to be able to go out of Egypt. Moshe Rabbeinu, to take them out of Egypt. It wasn't just physical Egypt that Moshe had to take them out of. Moshe had to transform their psyche. And in order for Moshe to be able to transform their psyche, so first of all, you see, physically he had to take them out of Egypt. He himself had to be born from a mother, from a tribe who was not enslaved. What did we say earlier? You cannot save someone if you're in the same, if you're in the same situation like they're in. You can't save them. You have to be outside to be able to save someone. Because or else you're drowning together with him. You can't save someone from drowning if you're drowning together with him. So a person can't, you have to be outside. So Moshe Rabbeinu has to be out. That's why the Maral says he had to come from Shevet Levi because Shevet Levi was not enslaved. If since they were not enslaved in Egypt, they were above, he was able to fish everybody else out. But spiritually too, he had to be born from a miraculous birth. You realize what happened? Moshe's very existence had to be a miracle. So right before he was born, his mother became young. A total miracle. She was an old lady of 130 years old and suddenly she became young. It's like unbelievable. Why did that miracle happen? Because he had to be born. He had to be empowered with the powers of miracles. He's not stuck in natural. Science and all natural causes are irrelevant to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's meaningless. He is a being that's purely spiritual, purely miraculous. Now... In order for that to happen for him, to, a miracle to happen to his mother, his mother needed to be firsthand conceived where? First of all, it couldn't be, let's understand, it couldn't be many generations. It had to be his mother. Because he himself had to nurse the milk of a person who has in her DNA the Eretz Yisrael. She had in her DNA the Eretz Yisrael perception that God is and there's none but Him. Why? Why did she have that perception? Because she was conceived over there. So she was born in that land. Now she was even more than everybody else who was born and went down because they were all born before and went down into Egypt. She was born by the entrance of Mitzrayim. Why? Because her unique ability was she was able to take the oxygen, that truth, the clarity of Eretz Yisrael, and transmitted into the exile. So she can connect it to Moshe Rabbeinu, who was born in exile, two generations. His mother is outside. She gives that, she nurses him with that milk. You see this week the Torah makes a whole deal of how, she, how he nursed. From his mother, who is living, or has that in her being, she gives it over to her son. He's a miraculous baby. He has that amuna in him that's so crystal clear of Yudke Vavke. He comes to Paro with the Yudke Vavke. He, he empowers the Jewish people. But mainly it was necessary for which, for which level of the Jew? Not so much to go out of Egypt, but mainly it was necessary to prepare the Jewish people to come into Eretz Yisrael because that's what Eretz Yisrael is. Eretz Yisrael is you throw off all the, all the natural causes and you're living only as God as your security. God is your security, God is your sustenance, there's no one in between. This is, this is what it's all about. And this is a very, this is a good exercise we can start getting used to. To try to, try to re, rewire our brains, to know that Hashem is taking care of us, and there's never a reason to worry. And particularly when it comes to the land of Israel as well. We, 
The world has turned its backs on us. Israel should not think that its security is coming from this one or from that one and from that one. And even this that I've been mentioning earlier about Trump and all this, which seems to be all signs of a Mashiach, the thing, God forbid to make the mistake to rely that because he's a friend or because he has his son-in-law is Jewish. And this is all the Eberster doing things. Great. But for, for the Jewish people to think that there's another security besides God, chas v'shalom. Our only hope and our only, is only Hashem. And Eretz Yisrael is ours because Hashem gave it to us. Not because of any, any other reason. We need to be proud and strong and say that to the entire world. The belief that we are Hashem's people and Eretz Yisrael is Hashem's land. And very, very soon, Hashem is going to return us all to Eretz Yisrael and we're going to go and we're going to live in this clarity in this MS and in this truth. And there's nothing as liberating as this, as this power and this truth. And we merit to be able to, 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 to have the strength and the ability to be able to focus ourselves. This is the paradigm shift that is required more than anything else. Because automatically when you live like this, you daven better, you learn better, you use your resources that Hashem gives you better because you know you have nothing and everything you have is directly and only coming to you directly from Hashem. So you want to use it exactly in the way that Hashem wants you to use it. May we merit to, um, that we should all be ready for the, for, for the coming of Mashiach and we should see the Geula Shalema. May it be right now. Ooh, I, 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 I.